This podcast is supported by Siemens, your partner for industrial grade AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of our Industrial AI Podcast. My name is Robert Weber, and it's a pleasure to talk to Peter Sieberg. Good morning, Robert. How are you doing? I'm fine, Peter. We have a very short news part today. I'm very happy because we have two fantastic guests in our podcast. You know that we have been struggling since we started this podcast to find women and their AI projects because we have not enough contacts to to women in AI. And that's why we um, have been looking for a partner. And now we have one, Women in AI and Rope. Robotics. This means we will have more women with their AI use cases in our podcast in the future. I think right. that's a good idea to have more women with their technical AI use cases. Yeah, yeah, and I believe that you uh, you met uh, Sheila at yes. uh, Anova Massa, right? I recall that we had um was it after the uh, the moderation we did and yeah. i kind of had to run i didn't have the time so i didn't you have to catch uh, the, the i train. didn't meet her yet yeah so very much looking forward to as well actually there's another thing going on that we're working on as well so maybe i'm not sure so is she based we're probably going to hear all of that i, I yeah. didn't listen yet like you dear listeners <laughs> so i'm going to hear all of that later as well is she based in Canada or no? She's based in Germany, exactly. but it's a North American European Association for Women in AI and Robotics. Yeah, very good. So very much looking forward to. I did look uh, back because, as you just suggested, maybe it hasn't been that easy. But we have had, you know, a number of women. We had yeah. uh, Iveta Lohovska. She was from yeah. HP just a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Uh, then we had Alexandra Matthews from yeah. Munich Re. We have Maria Berner, remember? A flower yeah. framework. Flower, flower power, yeah. <laughs> flower power, yeah. Krista Hoffman was talking about AI in agriculture. Yes. And we had Costanza Hasterwork from Fraunhofer as well. Yeah, that Amelie. was very interesting, yeah. And Amelie, I think actually, if I understood correctly, that Amelie is also Amelie Anders, TU Munich, that Sheila suggested that she is maybe even part of the Women in AI Network. Yeah, she's she's involved in the organization, I think, yeah. Very good. We had Sandra Romais from Rehau. We also have, um, you know, additional connectivity and activity going on. And then we had Kenza, recall, Aitzi yes. Abu. Meanwhile, she moved to IBM a famous author. And I'm going to stop here with Karina Meath from Trumpf and we had Nicole Büttner from Erantix. But that's, now we're in March, um, March of 21. So this is over two years. Yes. It's about 10 women. So uh, yeah, you could say they have been kind of uh, underrepresented. I believe next week we're going to have uh, Hannah Bale. Okay? Yep. From Merantix, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward. I mean, we have been, you know, dealing, uh, keeping, maintaining our Excel spreadsheet, and it always would remind us in a very special color, I believe, that yes. you and I, we should not forget, but maybe we did sometimes forget. So I'm very much looking forward to Are you discussing later on with her, like, uh, the regularity, how often we're going to see how yeah, we're going to do that? Once a month, she will okay. produce an episode. And one important thing, it's not about gender topics we want to talk about right. technical 
solutions provided by women. And that's that's the main idea of this podcast episodes. It's a good point you make that. And you know, sometimes you're not you're not certain what what words to use, right? Because we've got such a huge listenership kind of so certain people take this very very seriously also the the, the gender correct pronunciation which yes. we typically well it's we not are in english we have no problem with that. i was gonna i was just thinking yeah for those of you who have no clue what robert and i are talking about it, it is because of the german language where there is a specific way of saying the gender out or not and there's a there's not an agreement let's put it that way between you know in um, in the german audience so that, it's a good point that you make that I, i'm very much looking forward and uh, so we're gonna i guess increase the share of women uh, talking about as you say you know the normal topics the technical and the business topics yep. for business decision makers for you men and women listeners And I think you men, um, you know, listeners should not be afraid. You know, you're going to have enough chances. Let us know yeah, as well. Uh, you know, write to Robert, write to me if you have an interesting topic and you believe that you should be represented on the Industrial AI podcast. And now in the news part, we have the small interview with Sheila about the organization. And in the main part, I will discuss the topic, the missing Patent Strategy of the European Union with uh, Michael Kühne-Schlinkert. It's also a very interesting uh, conversation, I think, about a very, very important topic in the field of AI. Yeah. Right. We met, uh, actually, Michael was here last week in, in Munich, where we met yes, as well, right? we met yeah. him at the AI with Purpose Summit at Siemens, yes. Right. Very good. Okay. So, Short news break, Peter. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. See you. Bye-bye. And my guest is Sheila Belardi-Nejat. Hello, Sheila. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Robert. I'm excited to be here with you today. She's the head of Women in AI and Robotics. And the great thing is Women in AI and Robotics and the Industrial AI podcast are partners as of today. And Sheila and her team are responsible for an episode once a month. We are very happy to welcome you, Sheila. And uh, please introduce yourself briefly to the listeners in three sentences, maybe. <laughs> okay, thank you, Robert. Uh, we're also very happy to be collaborating with you on these podcast series. Uh, I can tell you a little bit about my uh, personal side of yeah, sure. I'm uh, Persian by heritage. I have uh, grew up in England, uh, Canadian by citizenship, and lived a good portion of my life in the U.S. I have studied computer science in Canada and also industrial engineering in France. I started my career as a software developer in the telecommunication industry. Wow. And uh, um, I have worked for all major U.S. telecom companies, such as Verizon Wireless, AT&T, T-Mobile. And I uh, was a developer for many years before I went on to the role of business analyst, project and program management roles, and then eventually became a consultant. And that's uh, what I did for uh, around 10 years in, in Seattle before I moved to Europe. And you're the head of Women in AI and Robotics, right? Great. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. What, what is Women in AI and Robotics? Yeah, so Women in AI and Robotics uh, was initiated in February of 2021, where I thought 
I had personally reached a point in my life that it was time to slow down a bit and give back to communities and what better cause than supporting women to get into these fields and, and help them succeed in it. So we were founded um, in Munich and um, with uh, chapters we, we now have across the country in Berlin, uh, Stuttgart, Heilbronn, Bremen, Hamburg, and in Canada, we have also launched in Toronto, Waterloo, Montreal, uh, Ottawa, and, and uh, hopefully by the end of the year in Vancouver as well. Um, we work to help advance women in the fields of artificial intelligence and robotics, and we're on a mission to close this gender gap and increase the representation of women through various initiatives, uh, such as mentorship, education, hackathons, and the Startup Accelerator Program. How are you different from other initiatives? Because in my opinion, you focus more on technology and not about compassion tears. Why is this important? Right. So we, we are not just an advocacy group. We take action. So, mm -hmm. for example, we started supporting an initiative in Bremen called Be OK, where women from our community present their work in artificial intelligence or robotics to children in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, we conducted a global level hackathon uh, last year and partnered with the University of Waterloo, NILA, the Quebec Artificial Intelligence Institute in, in Montreal, and it was our first uh, cross-Atlantic robotics hackathon and a big success. Another more recent collaboration that we have uh, done was with the Munich Center for Machine Learning, where we conducted a workshop for Girls' Day together. Mm -hmm. so those are the kind of uh, activities that we get involved in. And so uh, we, I, I really think that um, these partnerships are essential to, to make us more uh, impactful uh, on our mission. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned you have some chapters in, in Europe, you have chapters in Canada. Can you a little bit compare what works well in Europe, what works well in North America, and where do we have to improve? Right. Well, I, I think the bad news is that we're not doing so well as far as getting women into these fields uh, across the globe, so with little differences between Europe and North America. So what I see is that sometimes there are some differences in cultural understanding of volunteerism. Mm -hmm. So we are very much into volunteering at a very young age in North America. And that is a new concept in Germany. And I think that, you know, having people to roll up their sleeves and get engaged on this mission is important to get us where we want to be because we can't solely rely on governments and uh, corporations and so on. So uh, we need to get involved. Now, the differences that I do see is more on the mindset and the attitude, not just for women, but in general, when it comes to being afraid of failure, which can be crippling and, and it can not work to our advantage when you know it comes to being competitive, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll share a quote with you, which uh, you may already be uh, familiar with from, as we call him, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, that says you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. For, for all the guests who are not in this uh, sports stuff, he's an ice hockey star, right? 
Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's so true. So if, if you don't take the shot, then then you're not going to take advantage of, of the opportunities and, and so on. So, and another thing, we may be a little bit more ahead in terms of implementing policies of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workforce. But I see that, you know, Europe is catching up fast and furious. So that, that's a positive sign. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it for your initiative to be on the policy level, to work with companies? How difficult is that? Well, I, I have to say that Uh, there are many initiatives. The motivation is there. But sometimes when it comes to the implementation, we go a little bit sideways. Mm-hmm. For example, there are all these initiatives that I see where, you know, oh, let, let's give an award to women who have overcome those obstacles and barriers and reached the finish line, right? Which is great. I'm, and I'm all for it. But rather than do that to demonstrate, oh, we are doing something for diversity, I would be more inclined to say, okay, where are we at with the pay gap, right? Well, are we getting equally paid? Why don't we work and focus on such an, you know, actions instead of, uh, you know, Instagram opportunities mm-hmm. to demonstrate that, oh, let, let's give an award to a woman or two, which is fantastic, but, but it does not resolve the underlying problem that we have. So you are more hands-on, right? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I am uh, more hands-on in terms of, okay, let's take action, let's do something together. Like, you know, the examples I gave earlier with mm-hmm. doing workshops, with um, getting women on on the stage and in, in seeking, uh, you know, opportunities and whatnot. Recently, someone mentioned to me, what if men did not participate in panels that did not have diversity? And I think that This is something that I'm really a big advocate of. And I see that, you know, people like yourself are mm-hmm. taking some proactive measures to make sure that women and uh, other demographics and not necessarily just, you know, women, right? We, I think that um, in general, we need to have diversity in technology to, to do better, to be more innovative, right? So it's not just a matter of having more women in these fields, but having more diversity, people with different backgrounds uh, from a cultural perspective, from a heritage perspective, mm-hmm. or even from abilities, right? So oftentimes we tend to leave behind the, the ones who have special needs, and that's not good, right? I'm very looking forward for your first episode because you will talk about technology with these women you choose for the episode. And I think it's very important to talk about their projects, their technology, and not always complain. I think that's that's a really, really important topic, right? Right, right. So so uh, that that's a great point, uh, Robert. I think that what comes across as those who are not familiar with our mission, you know, it may be that, oh, We are just a group that is focused on the disparities and the gaps, but we are not. And we are actually very much into looking at AI and robotics to help us provide solutions mm-hmm. to the sustainable development goals, for example, and use technology to our advantage to accelerate some of these activities that we are seeing in the industry and so we happen to be women working on these types of initiatives and that's what you know i would like to highlight in our podcast series 
Sheila, we need to talk about the elephant in the room, I would say, generative AI. What is your opinion on a generative AI for an industrial sector or for your organization? So what really concerns me with the release of a user interface to these large language models, such as ChatGPT, is how these models have been trained with biased data, right? So yeah. we have not cleaned up our data and people are taking the output of this as gospel truth, um, which could result in widening the gap and the disparities um, and even threaten our democracies. So I'm actually of the opinion that we should halt the release of these uh, models into the public hands until regulations can catch up. So you're in the Gary Marcos uh, uh, hood. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that we, we cannot uh, halt the work that we're doing in terms of the research and the development, but we could halt the releasing of the yep. applications into the public hands until we have had the chance to catch up with regulations and policies and whatnot. And I'll give you an example of, you know, where things could go wrong. We, we see AI-generated images, right? And, and the definition of beauty has been incorporated into these pictures. If you, you know, women are styled in a, a certain way, their makeup, their hair, everything is reflecting what we see currently in pop culture. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. We can, we will lose our ability to trust what we read, you know, what, what is fake, what is not, um, how do we tell, you know, between the truth and, and lies and so on, if we start opening up these tools to the public without having some uh, measures in place. So that that's my, my two we, we need to look into the models, right? Right. So we, we need to ensure that they are trained with Uh, the the right type of data is where bias is uh, addressed as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sheila, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much to be our podcast partner. Uh, I'm really looking forward and Peter too. Thank you so much, Robert. I am also very excited to uh, be working together and I hope that our listeners will enjoy our conversations. And now we switch into the main part with Michael Kühne-Schlinkert. He's the founder of Katulu from Hamburg. Michael and his team are working on federated learning, mechanical engineering, and already have a few use cases live in operation at a pump manufacturer, but also a large automation company relies on the technology by, by Michael's team. But today, I don't want to talk about federated learning. I want to talk about patents and a problem with a Chinese company. Hello, Michael. Greetings to Hamburg. Hello, Robert. Nice to meet you again on this podcast. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you here. Let's talk a little bit about yourself. Briefly introduce yourself to the listeners in three sentences. Okay, three sentences. Yeah, I'm the uh, founder and CEO. I will count it. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, I have a background in computer science and business administration. And uh, yeah, five years ago, we started Cthulhu initially as a service provider for um, industrial IoT. And then we moved on. Of course, we identified quite some serious problems when it comes to AI and data availability. And um, yeah, that's basically led us to our yeah, endeavor today, basically making federate learning usable for the industry. Let's start with your daily business, Michael. How important are patents in your day-to-day -day business and in federated learning? They are very important. The reason for that is 
a lot of companies have file patterns that also affects our solution, also others. And a lot of companies are basically try to bring solutions into the market, which has not been adopted yet. So they basically just try to secure the idea, but not the actual execution. When you the execution, that's a solution, that's something what you can protect with a copyright. Okay. But what was the difference between the copyright and the patent? What is the difference for you? Well, with a patent, you can really secure the idea so that the, the kind of the, the really the cost, not kind of the mass function, but the idea behind a, a separate concept. And it's not just that you basically secure what you do with a copyright, one execution, one way how you can implement something. It's basically try to make it more broad and more bigger so that you can basically also uh, have different kinds of way to execute it in the end. I thought you guys from Federated Learning uh, rely on open source Am I wrong? Of course, we do. And we work a lot with with open source. And I mean, there are a lot of open source frameworks out there, but open source goes hand in hand with patterns very well. I mean, a lot of uh, open source foundations basically hold many patterns. So this is not kind of an, an oxymoron. It's basically something what is also essential to make it possible to use open source and open source licenses also have usually a pattern clause included so that you can, that is secure when you use this kind of software. Okay, but what is your problem now with this Chinese company? It's basically not just one one Chinese company. So it's basically when you look at this, it's a lot of Chinese companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So the thing when you when you look at the patent landscape in the past years, or it's still the case, you, the US are leading, and China is a strong follower, and then far behind is Europe. That's in general for the AI landscape. In recent years, we've seen a lot of patent filings. So these patents have not been granted; they are pending. And when it comes to uh, Chinese universities and Chinese companies are way ahead, they're filing more than 50% of the AI patents. And this is massive. And they're basically filing these, not just in China, they're also filing these in Europe. And this makes it difficult to apply AI and also federated learning in particular. And the tricky part when it comes to federated learning is that federated learning or also other privacy-enhanced technologies can be also a way to pro to protect our IP. I mean, they basically enable us to keep our data, our USPs private. And we see the huge risk that we're basically working on bringing a technology into the industry and parts of these becoming potentially, they have not been granted yet, but potentially patented by maybe the other competitors we would like to protect our economy from. Maybe did you just sleep on it, Michael? How do you mean that? <laughs> that you missed the chance to, to do your own patent. <laughs> That's a great so, question. So I'm sorry for that, but uh, no, no. there's a, a smart Chinese company and do some patents. Mm -hmm. Maybe you just uh, sleep on it. That's a really, really good question. I mean, it's not just us, but uh, if, I, if I speak for us, we are also working on patents ourselves. So uh, for uh, some core parts of our technology, so that we basically have something what we can trade in the end. But I think a symptom which you see um, across Europe, so Europe overall leads when it comes to AI publications. We are filing 28% of all publications worldwide. Interestingly, we are not leading when it comes to filing patents, so basically turning these publications, all the research that has been done, uh, universities into real patents. So that basically the kind of having great ideas, that's something where we and also other European companies are really good at, But securing these ideas, that's something where others, unfortunately, are much better. And that's the reason why we all need basically to keep up there. And yeah, um, I wouldn't say that we have uh, missed this, but they are probably know about this five-year plan from China. So they pushing there not just a few 
million dollars into they're basically making this to nationwide effort and this is something what we miss in europe and in germany that we really pushing this forward as a nation as a society to uh, also enable maybe startups or smes where innovation is happening to protect this innovation and to ensure that this innovation is held in the end also by uh, european companies let's dig some little bit deeper in this federated learning problem what would it mean for you what is the impact of this patents and what would that mean for the engineering so, I mean, a pattern describes usually one way and there are ways to work around it. So it's not that when you have filed a pattern for, for something that you, that there are no way uh, to basically do something. You, it's, it's not that you can, at least not in Europe, you cannot basically file a pattern on something really basic like a mass function. So you usually need to have a relation to something physical, to a use case, but this makes it much more difficult to apply it. So, um, and this is actually quite interesting to see that initially this was the patterns that have been filed were more abstract. And now it goes more into a specific use cases like quality inspection for semiconductors. That's a real federated learning use case, which have been handed in by a Chinese company. And this will in the end make our work and also the, the ones of our customers much harder to ensure that in the end they have the freedom to operate so that they do not violate any patterns with their own internal solutions or with the solution for the end customers. I want to make something clear. This is everything is allowed. They do not something that is not allowed. It's only very aggressive patent strategy, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not that they're violating any laws. Absolutely. And I also do not see these Chinese universities or Chinese companies as patent trolls. They have their own agenda. The only thing is that we need to keep up with their agenda so that we keep the powerful technologies of uh, the, the powerful privacy enhanced technologies in our hands to uh, also bring AI forward in, in Europe with our values. So it's absolutely fine what they're doing, but we need to be at least as fast as they are. Maybe it's not fine. It's correct what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. So you are a small company from Hamburg. What are you doing now as a small company? When you start off, you doesn't make sense to fire one single pattern. You basically need to to think of what what is really the use case, and that's what we are doing. We basically work on our pattern strategy and filing the first patterns to basically protect the cause of it. And this doesn't need to be necessarily that you file a patent on some really technical parts. This can be a little bit more abstract because you would like to protect uh, the overall usage. So we're basically working on, on specific patterns and also on our own strategy. You mentioned this semiconductor use case. If there is a patent now on this semiconductor use case, what are your options to solve this problem? Yeah, this makes it super difficult for, especially for smaller companies who do not have their own patent department. You need to do research. And this is difficult when you would like to ensure your customers uh, that they have the freedom to operate when they use uh, your solution. So we do a, a lot of research when we basically implement use cases with customers. We're also working together with a patent lawyer there. And this is something which is, which is critical. And what I think what a lot of startups, not just in the federated learning space, are not doing that when they basically look how I can implement something that they also make sure that in the end what the results are ensure that you have really the freedom to operate so you might need to do and go an extra mile 
you might need to find a way around. And what's also possible, that's something what, what we basically like a little bit of money, but what, for instance, some of our customers are doing, that they, of course, also work against these patents. I mean, it's not when a patent is, uh, is pending, when you file a patent, it's not granted yet. because you, So that's still the possibility to um, that this patent can reject it. But for this, you basically need kind of a more stronger <laughs> patent department and quite some, um, some deep money. <laughs> Do you think it is strategy to close the market for these Chinese companies or for other companies to come into this federated learning market? Or is it more and you can close the market because you want to do your own research and you want to develop something, the market is closed, so you want to be the first on this market when it's open again? Or is it more a business strategy to say, I want to sell something now? What is your opinion on that? I do not believe in closing markets, but I think it makes sense to ensure that markets basically competing on the same principles on the same laws and that's actually quite difficult in this overall setup and i think there have been some good moves in other industries when it comes to protecting um, core technologies for europe the us is also doing uh, acting that way and i think this is this is critical where basically the eu needs to act to uh, protect key parts of ai and also of privacy and technology so they that they basically can be kept in our in our hands and this requires definitely significant investments so closing the market will basically not are you afraid of this technology federated learning is kept by chinese companies for european and us companies it's not that i'm afraid of that i see and i i believe it will not be kept uh, i but i think it will make our lives much more difficult in applying it correctly so that we do not violate and this will be more costly And when you have, uh, I mean, we already have uh, much higher costs here when, due to bureaucracy, due to labor costs. And uh, this will basically mean that some European companies cannot keep up with some Chinese companies, for instance, or, um, and this might make it more difficult. So the I think overall, it's a question, how can you make it easier so that companies can apply AI federated learning in a fast way so that we can push our society forward, not falling behind, but still making it Uh, aligning aligning it with our values and then <laughs> the other level that we now need to put on uh, on top is and not violating ex, uh, other patterns and so our lives is simply getting more difficult so you mentioned you work together with a lawyer that costs a lot of money for a small company i i miss a strategy a european strategy from the big companies to work together on this topic what is the solution for this Yeah, so there are very few programs there to kind of help companies in that. So you get kind of a little bit support for your first patent and uh, get an overview. But that's basically it, what, what there is available right now. So there are a few, but what you mentioned is absolutely right. This is definitely not enough. We need kind of an overall strategy, which basically also puts this everything in context. I mean, we have a lot of laws that the European Union is working on, like the AI Act, the Data Act. And these things are often treated isolated. And we need to basically treat this in a holistic way, but also looking at, uh, at an overall patent strategy and putting all this in context and having ideally support programs for European companies, which could be an instrument to align such individual strategies overall within Europe. And I think this could be a powerful instrument to ensure that, for instance, patents that have been filed under such a uh, strategy can be much easier used by other European companies, for instance. That, that could be it's just an idea, but I think there is definitely kind of a gap uh, which must be filled. And right now it's it's filled by Chinese companies and universities, which I think is not the right way right now. 
but they have a lot of patents. I talked to a lawyer and he said sometimes there's a lot of trash also on this. And this is a lot of trash for the authorities to check it and to prove it. And I think they have much more impact on this topic or much more it's more on their agenda to do patents, 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 patents. Or I am wrong. No, that, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, I mean, uh, you see this uh, that more than 50% of the AI patents pending are from Chinese companies and universities, and that that's, it shows it already. So there is a lot of output, and these are not always patents that will go through, which is okay. But I mean, when you have already such flood of AI patents, this makes it, of course, difficult for the European Patent Office to keep track on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have not the time to check European patents or whatever, or American patents or what, or Brazilian or I don't know. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, um, they also, not, of course, introduced uh, some AI solutions uh, within their business. But yeah, it's it's a lot of workload. I think a patent process is not fast, and that's also a little bit problematic. That when you would like to uh, push innovation out there. Uh, you don't want to wait. You would like to have fast iteration cycles, and that can be some uh, sometimes also a little bit tricky. When you check the market, check the patents, are these Chinese companies focusing of European patent offers or American, US or, or Chinese? Where is their focus on? All three. It's also the, the same when you hand in a patent in in Germany. You can easily then scale a patent. I'm not kind of a patent lawyer on the exact periods, but um, you can easily extend it, I think, within a year or so to other regions, to other countries. So they usually, as how we see it, is that they start off in China and then they basically extend it. But this also depends a little bit on the on the company and university. So it's not kind of that there's an overall patent strategy, but it looks like that they're not kind of, they're limiting themselves not to China, which makes absolutely sense, because they basically think globally. And um, I think that's something what we need to do here as well. In the USA, there's a discussion about open AI, open source. The DeepMind CEO, Denis Hassabi, said, oh, maybe the times of open source are, are gone or nearly come to an end. We need to think about open source strategy because we have some countries. He doesn't, you don't want to name it, but everybody knows this country, which are not involved in this open source strategy to, to publish everything open source. Is there a mind change in the US market, the, the big tech companies, or what do you think? I do not see uh, a change in open source strategies yet, but I, I also read the article and I totally understand his way of arguing. I do not believe that stopping open source or being more careful what you open source is a solution to that. I mean, we will not basically, we don't want to build up borders and basically say, hey, now we have the, the US Europe open source and now we have this Chinese open source uh, or uh, Asian open source. But yeah, I know his argument uh, goes in the direction that not all countries are basically participating in the same way. Some are consuming more than others, which is a valid argument, but that's, uh, but this also applies for the same for companies. I mean, overall, the big tech companies are the ones who are driving open source forward quite a lot. There are also smaller ones, of course, that are participating, but it's not that everyone really basically puts in the same amount of effort into the bucket. Um, so um, 
I think some companies will be more careful in the future and already are when it comes to open, what kind of open source strategy they're following with their products. I mean, there's also a difference between kind of having a simple Python library, which basically everyone can use, or that basically this Python library or this Python product is kind of your core business. And I think this is something that will change and that's something what we also reveal and uh, thought about, okay, how we, how we should go there. Initially, we basically went to an open core strategy, but we also basically stopped there and on. And right now our newest things are not yet open source. So we're also a little bit more careful what we basically open, uh, open source there. Nevertheless, we are still involved and participating in other open source projects, which, which are key to us, but not necessarily pushing out our, our product or our whole product as open source. So I think you need to be there. It's not the, basically this universal answer, but I believe that companies will be more careful, but it's not the end of open source. I want to come back once again to this European strategy on patents. Do you see a strategy in the USA on patents? Not really. What I see there is kind of a, a shift, which is quite interesting, but that's not kind of a strategy shift. Some major companies uh, like Microsoft and IBM, they started to file less patents, which is quite interesting. So my, Microsoft basically went in the direction of basically pushing out Uh, stuff as open source. So I mean, when when something is out there and you have a good open source license, what Microsoft usually, can, of course, takes care of, then you cannot patent it afterwards. And IBM also in a recent uh, until I think last year or, or year before they they filed most patents in the US. Uh, they filed over ten uh, thousand patents a year, and that's for three decades. So this is this is incredible. This is massive. But there was a shift that they basically went a little bit away from that and and be and be more careful what they actually file as a patent and not basically filing um, as much as possible, more going into filing more high-quality patents. So th this is an interesting shift. Maybe that's a solution to go more open source. Maybe it is. Then it, it's a standard and nobody can do a patent. Yeah, I mean, or... Uh, patented before and then the open sourcing. Yep. I mean, yep. that's, for instance, also what Linux Foundation, Apache Foundation, they're holding a massive amount of, of patents, making it available for the public, and that's good. Is that a solution, maybe? A European way to say, okay, we have a foundation and they will claim a lot of patents and then we go open source with these patents? <laughs> um, I mean, this could be a solution for some parts, but I mean, then you still have the situation that there are different players on the market and we are still in open market. And I think you can achieve something like that, but then you need basically have a kind of really an overall strategy where every player who acts who is active on the european market needs to be involved and needs to basically participate or be forced to participate i mean this is kind of a little bit the thing when you have kind of such open markets some players committing to the strategy and some not that won't work at the end i have one more question so you are now in our podcast and you address industrial leaders industrial guys industrial women working on ai is this the right Are these people the people you need to inform about this topic or do you need to come on a policy agenda in the Parliament, European Parliament? I don't know. I mean, this would be ideal, of course, if we can basically go the ladder up and uh, bring it to, on a political level. I mean, when we speak to, to data scientists, to, to head of R&Ds, et cetera, who basically working on such technologies, uh, I mean, these are the ones who in the end need to know that they should uh, think twice before they publish something if they should maybe go the extra mile and patent it so i think these are definitely this is the audience that needs to fill 
this gap that we are basically behind the US and China, for instance. But of course, we need to basically bring this up to uh, to a much higher level so um, that we will get basically kind of a European strategy on this. And uh, this is something what we will probably not achieve just by this podcast. Yes, sure. But you're looking for teammates, right? <laughs> That's an interesting idea. Since we're kind of a small startup, we have limited resources. But of course, if bigger players have interest in pushing this topic forward, I'm happy uh, to have a chat on that. This is definitely in all our interests here. Perfect. Michael, it was a pleasure to talk to you. We wish you the best and maybe we can find some teammates through our podcast. Greetings to Hamburg. Thanks. Nice talking to you. Have a good one.